0: Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now, your hosts, Nia Rogers, Public Affairs Librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, Political Science Professor.
1: Good morning, Augie.
0: Good morning, Nia. How are you?
1: I am sad.
0: Yeah. I'm a little I'm, sad. So uh we am I. we
1: have two episodes today and our other episode we had kind of we we recorded earlier and we had a little bit of fun with it Mr. Santos no longer being um a member of Congress. Congress. Congress yes. But we're turning now to a more to my more real feelings about something in the world and that is you are going to pay tribute to the lovely and wonderful Sandra Day O'Connor.
0: Yes. Um uh, at the point that we're recording this episode, listeners, um Sandra Day O'Connor um uh died um within the week this past week. Um and December first, yeah, December first December first, twenty twenty three. Um so for, much
1: about Sandra Day O'Connor.
0: For Nia and I, um her appointment to the United States Supreme Court as the first female justice um was um monumental um uh oh, well she she he, said
1: to girls like me yes. you can be on the highest court in the land
0: yeah um and
1: the the dream of being a lawyer is not limited for you in any way and yeah that and that was in, magical and, in its own
0: and in her lifetime the change of what opportunities were available to women in the legal profession um, was stunning. Holy cow. Because as I will uh, kind of sort of jumping ahead in regards to her biography, but she graduated from one of the top law schools in the United States, Stanford University Law School. Okay. Um, You know, forever ranked in the top 10, top 15, top 20. She graduated third. And when she graduated, she could not get a full-time lawyer position at any law firm in the United States. They wanted wanted to hire her as a legal secretary.
1: Let's start with the fact that when she died, she was 93 93 years old. 93 years
0: old, yes. And she died from complications of dementia. Uh, Related to the fact that she uh, announced in 2018 that she had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. All right. Right. So she's Um, born
1: in 1930.
0: Yes. Yes. And. Yep.
1: She was born in Texas. Um, Yeah.
0: She was was born in a hospital in El El Paso, Texas, uh, because uh, the part of Arizona where her family had a rather large farm, did not have a hospital. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so her mom went to El Paso to have a baby. Yeah, okay. Which,
1: which actually speaks to um, already to a slight difference, because a lot of people would have been born at home in 1930. Yeah. But she was born in a hospital.
0: Yep, yep. So... Yeah, Already
1: and, a little unusual, even on the day of her birth.
0: Birth, and um, and uh, she grew up, um, as I just mentioned, um, uh, in a farming family. Um, um, it was a ranch, okay, cows, horses, etc. Uh, by all accounts, um, um, she was expected to farm just like the ranch hands um and her father who she just absolutely adored her relationship with her mom as she wrote in her biography um growing up on the uh the name of the farm was i think uh, lazy bee farm okay um her relationship with her mom was well i mean hey it's like many relationships that daughters have with their mothers very contentious right um She was sent to an all-girls school in El El Paso, Texas. Graduated high school when she was 16. Nia, okay. Well, I mean, we are talking about one of the most (laughs) brilliant—yes,
1: brilliant people, not women. One of the most brilliant brilliant people, people. right? Who's come down the pike? If if, uh, sorry, if. Listeners are wondering, Augie and I are big fans. Mm-hmm. So you're not gonna hear us say a lot of negative things about we might have some disagreements with some of her opinions later and we'll talk about that as we get yeah. on later in the episode. But as far as our admiration for the woman who was Sandra Day, before she was O'Connor, by O'Connor. the way, and and I will tell you that growing up, um she was... was a she was an, a feminist icon to my generation because she was a smart woman. In fact, we, a lot of us shortened and called her Sandra Day. We didn't call her Sandra Day O'Connor because that was his name. And she was a a brilliant person in her own right, doing Mm -hmm. all of these things and being able to manage her life in this, in this great way. Like she was just a, a great example.
0: She was a great example in the fact that she kept her main name
1: was okay, big as,
0: as part of her, you know, married name. Okay. Yeah. Was, was huge because at the time. People didn't if, do that. If women were to succeed. Okay. In business politics, the law, etc., cetera. Okay. They usually took their husband's name. Right. Okay. That was customary. So it was somewhat unusual. I mean, and you, to to have you know Sandra Day keep her main name as part of her married name,
1: and the, uh, and the second woman on the court, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Ginsburg
0: did, did the same, same thing. thing. Yes, right. right.
1: And part of it is that they had already developed
0: relation. I mean, um, a reputations, a professional identity in their they, in with their was, single, names. single name. Yes, I mean she was. So after she graduated from high school <laughs> early, she then goes to Stanford and studied economics, and she graduated with honors. Okay, again, she. a woman in a field at that time that was Highly domin- dominated, dominated, by, dominated men. by men, right? Then she goes to law school, finishes third in her class.
1: Third at Stanford.
0: So, third at Stanford, right? Okay? That's, You're that's not in the-
1: first. At the vast majority majority of institutions, institutions.
0: you're not an intellectual lightweight if you're graduating third. Right. Okay. now, while she graduated first, um, her former colleague. And at that time. A person who she dated a few times. Chief Justice William Rehnquist.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who was, of course, not chief justice when he graduated (laughs) graduated from law school, school,
0: but But, nevertheless,
1: that'll tell you who the crowd is she's (laughs) running with.
0: with, Okay. Again, you're not talking about an intellectual lightweight. Right. Okay. I mean, Rehnquist, you know, can be criticized for his jurisprudence, blah, 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 but but not for his intellect, not for his intellect. Right. Now, the main notice that
1: doggy said they
0: dated, they did date. In fact, Chief
1: Justice Rehnquist when he was a young man in law school, I believe he asked for a hand in marriage, marriage yes. of young Sandra Day,
0: yes. Who said yes. nah Nah, thanks, but no. <laughs> okay. Um
1: so I'm just saying <laughs> she turned down a man who would
0: later be a Chief Justice, Chief Justice. of the
1: Supreme Court. Right. She's her own. You, you, she's you got, her own
0: icon. <laughs> yeah, you got to admire the confidence of a woman. Yep, I okay. can do better. <laughs> <laughs> I can do better than you. Actually,
1: and... <laughs> she probably said, I, "I'm, I'm going to find somebody slightly more suited to me, to you me, know, or right, whatever." Right. I mean, she wasn't trying to slam. Yeah, Rehnquist. Let's We're be honest, to, okay, she wasn't so trying so, to slam yeah. Rehnquist.
0: Um But she but... actually met her husband at Stanford. John O'Connor was one class behind her and Rehnquist. She met O'Connor because they both worked on Stanford's Law Review. Again, that's a very competitive position at law school. In, in yeah, law that's school. who she's running with, <laughs> with is, <okay>. people <laughs> at that level. And <laughs> that she's
1: <laughs> holding her own.
0: Yes, right? So after law school, she marries O'Connor and they moved to Europe, okay, because um, he had a military commitment. He served in the JAG Corps. Um, she actually served as a lawyer in the Army uh, quartermaster uh, office, okay, basically the supply and logistics arm of the Army, right? But when they returned to the United States, she couldn't find a full-time legal position. They only offered her – And as you
1: said, they, they offered her legal, legal secretary, secretary
0: jobs. Because right? she was a woman. Yes. Yep. and.
1: And they were unwilling to put her in a court, which is silly because can you imagine the firm?
0: Okay. By the way, if they'd hired her as a lawyer, what they would have. Yeah. By the way, Ruth Bader Ginsburg had a similar experience. Right. right? You know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg graduated from an Ivy. and She couldn't find, okay, full-time work as an attorney.
1: Right. We're talking the 1960s here. Okay. And, And the inability to get.
0: You a know, job as a lawyer. lawyer.
1: I mean, and I just want to say, I would love to go back in time and say to the people, the bosses who turned her down for those jobs, you know, she's going to be on the Supreme Court in a few years, right? <laughs> yeah. like, it, it just, it, I wonder how many of them went, man, we could have had Sandra Day O'Connor as our, yes, as one of our lawyers in our, in our yeah, firm. One,
0: yeah, one of our partners. Yep. So um, uh, when they returned to the States, they decided to um, uh, uh, live in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, They had three boys. Um, O'Connor got a job working in uh, a big law firm in Phoenix. John O'Connor. John O'Connor did, yes. Okay. She, after she had her three boys while they were in school— decided to open her own law firm in the suburb outside of Phoenix where they lived, okay? So she worked part-time, okay, raised three boys, and then she began to volunteer in various civic and uh, uh, political organizations in Phoenix. And at that time, Phoenix was overwhelmingly Republican, right? Today, it is Very different. more— It's more bluish, maybe purplish, purplish, you know, blue, red. Okay, Um, But back then it was very conservative. Arizona as a state was very conservative. Right. Um, But she got involved with the Republican Party at the precinct level. Right. So in terms of local governments, precincts are even a smaller unit. So she got involved in Republican Party politics at the, if you will, smallest, most grassroots level. And I think there's a lesson to be learned for many young people who may be listening to this episode. All right. If you're thinking about getting involved in politics, don't aspire immediately to the national level. Right. Don't run for
1: president.
0: Get involved locally. Okay. And develop your skills, develop your network, your relationships, right? Yes.
1: Understand how what will fly and what will not because yes. you will learn at the district level far more about more politics, politics and actual working politics than you will at the national level because at the district level you have to compromise. Yes. You have to compromise. You have to find ways for people to work together like you don't get to just be all fussy in front of the news and call it good because that's it.
0: And and, and I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, because at the national level, the focus is so much on, you know, how how an elected official looks in terms of the cameras and, you know, you know, uh, posts on uh, social media platforms. But at the local level, you got to go door to door. Right, right. You got to see your voters face to face, and they know you. They see you in the grocery grocery store. store, They see you at church in the the school pickup pickup line. line. Yes, right. Like all of that stuff,
1: they gonna see you when you go out of the house with you know sketchy clothes on, your hair sticking up all kinds of ways. You hadn't brushed your teeth. Like it gets you. You are very real to them, and they are very real real to you. You have real relationships. Relationships,
0: yes. And she was
1: building all of that.
0: that. And she became so successful and so well-known at the local level that in 1965, she first returned to full-time work as an assistant state attorney general. So, again, for... Our listeners who are starting out and thinking about a legal career and, you know, I'm going to be a judge or I'm going to go work for a big firm. You're going
1: to be an assistant state attorney attorney, or or assistant defense attorney attorney. and see how the court system
0: actually works, works, right? (laughs) Okay.
1: But that opened the door to, wasn't there a a vacancy in the
0: state State Senate
1: Senate in Arizona?
0: Yeah, in 1969, uh, Governor Jack Williams, a Republican, appointed her to fill um, a vacancy in the state Senate.
1: And he did that because she had put in the groundwork. Groundwork. Yes. And she was known. Yes. People were like, well, you know who you should appoint? You should appoint Sandra Day O'Connor. She's a hard worker. She's smart. You should appoint her. I mean, he may or may not have known her personally, but he – but he found out reputationally because she had built a local reputation.
0: reputation. She then decided to run for re-election in 1970 and then in 1972 she won re-election and she was picked by her colleagues to become the first Senate majority leader in the history of Arizona, the first female majority leader Okay, in Arizona, right?
1: Huzzah.
0: Okay. um, And, and then
1: she kind of switched gears a little, right? She got yes. out of...
0: Yeah, in 74, um, she decided to run for a seat on the Maricopa County Superior Court. And Arizona, like a number of states in the United States, actually have judicial elections. Right. So she ran for that then 2 years later she ran for a a uh, a seat on the Arizona appellate court right
1: so Sandra Day O'Connor to just <laughs> quickly sum up served as an assistant um uh, state, state attorney. attorney she served in the st- in the senate in the state senate then she served on the state at co- various court levels,
0: all so, three branches of Arizona government, Sandra Day O'Connor served in. Right. All so, three branches.
1: So she, but she had, and she, so she has this huge variety of, of experience. Of, now, from seventy-six to eighty or so, she's on on the Arizona appellate court.
0: That's right. Yep.
1: And President Reagan, (laughs) in his infinite wisdom in his in his um, election campaigns, said, I will appoint a woman.
0: The first female justice to the Supreme Supreme Court, Court."
1: not unlike President Biden
0: saying I'm going to appoint the first female African-American justice. in the history of this uh this
1: idea that biden didn't do something that other presidents have done president reagan did it beforehand yes presidents do that kind of stuff all the time we need more diversity in x thing and i will bring it by appointing
0: lyndon johnson when he ran for we ran for uh election in 64 mentioned in a number of campaign stops that he was going to appoint uh more african americans to the federal judiciary and he would be open to con- open to the possibility of pointing an African American to the Supreme Court, and he did. Right. This is the kind of thing that you say in campaigns, but as presidents, it's part of your legacy, right? Right. And let's never forget, presidents have one oh. eye on the present, but and they one also eye on have the on the legacy, right?
1: How okay. are they going to remember me?
0: And it just so, so but, it just so happened the, Reagan Reagan wins election in eighty, but within a few short months of him being president, a vacancy arises on the court. Potter Stewart, who by all accounts was in good health, decided that after about a quarter of a century be, serving on the Supreme Court, he was going to retire.
1: And you know, we were, there's something to be said for that. For that, yes. Because David Souter did the same thing. While I'm in good health Health? and still have my mind, Mind. I'm peacing out of this place.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right.
1: I'm going to (laughs) go eat apples in (laughs) Maine or wherever. Like, Uh,
0: it would be nice if more people, right,
1: Souter's case, New New Hampshire. Hampshire. But, you know, I'm going to go do a thing and leave me alone. I'm just going to go do a thing. Um, And he gets an even luckier. People hand him a short list. Yes. right. Because that's how it works with presidencies. They hand you a short list of a bunch of people, of a few people, after they have vetted the snot out of those people, generally speaking, not always, but generally they have vetted those people and they give the president a list of people and they say, these are pretty safe candidates.
0: We and think they're going to do
1: okay. In and moreover,
0: in this particular case, Nia, you saw something happen that you don't see today. Two, serving Supreme Court justices, actually vouched for Sandra Day O'Connor.
1: Rehnquist.
0: Rehnquist. And the Chief Justice, Warren Berger, both went ahead. Berger had attended a number of conferences where O'Connor was at and actually went overseas to a conference in Great Britain. Okay that was exploring an anniversary of British common law, and she was along on the trip, and Warren Berger was impressed with Sandra Day O'Connor so when the,
1: because he was not a stupid man and she was, and
0: fabulous. was fabulous and if you so, I
1: imagine <laughs> I would be i would be actually I would have been so odd I don't know if I would have spoken.
0: I only met Justice O'Connor once um you met her. Yeah, when I was doing uh, research for my dissertation on Justice Byron White, um, uh, Byron White, when he left the Supreme Court, had um, – it placed a a condition on access to his Supreme Court papers. You had to get permission from his clerk um, uh, to look at them, and permission would only be granted for serious and worthwhile scholarly contributions. Well, I figured since I'm doing my dissertation on him, this was serious and a worthwhile scholarly (laughs) contribution. So I went up to the Supreme Court building where Byron White, who was retired, had an office, met with his clerk, right? Now, ultimately, my request was rejected because I was just a mere doctoral student. But Byron White's clerk took me around the Supreme Court chambers, and in that tour, I met three justices: Chief Justice Rehnquist, Justice uh, Clarence Thomas, and Sandra Day O'Connor. And I got to tell you, Nia, okay, her handshake left my hand hurting for like 15-20 minutes afterwards. Okay, <laughs> well, she, she was a ranch hand who never stopped being a ranch, a ranch hand. hand, right? Okay, um, down to earth invited me into her office, her chambers, okay, and it was decorated much like you would expect somebody from the Southwest. It had Native American tapestries, okay, et cetera, et cetera, but extremely down to earth, okay, and she was so pleased that I was doing my dissertation on Byron White because she was just like, I so enjoyed working with him. His approach okay, to our work is much like mine, okay? We got a job to do, so let's get it done, right? And I was just like, yes, and my hand still hurts. (laughs) That's what I was thinking, (laughs) right? Okay.
1: Yeah, please don't hit me. She probably knocked me unconscious. (laughs) Okay. So her vote in the Senate is 99 to zero.
0: Yeah, she was. Confirmed. There is no opposition. No, no opposition to her whatsoever. Because again, Senate knows
1: a good thing when they see one.
0: Okay, well they did back I mean, then. Yeah, I today don't know on the bad. other hand, but, okay, okay. And
1: today she might not get. It, she would get confirmed, but she probably wouldn't get confirmed with a, a unanimous. Yeah. And those days are more or less gone. I think. Yeah. Th- yeah because a lot gone. of what what's happening in the Senate now with confirmation is political posturing, but. Mm-hmm. So, but now can we can we bring can we talk about her sort of as a justice? Her juris
0: jurisprudence? Yeah. jurisprudence. Yeah. So when she was uh nominated and confirmed, and Ne and I are gonna take our listeners back uh to a history lesson, by 1980 standards, Sandra Day O'Connor was clearly a conservative on the burger court. All right. All right. The, the court led by Chief Justice Warren Burger, because only the chief Re, uh, Rehnquist and occasionally Lewis Powell were more conservative in her than Sandra Day O'Connor with their votes and opinions. However, the 1980s court was was a moderate court. Right. right. You had holdovers from the Warren court. So you had liberals like Brennan, Thurgood Marshall. OK, but you had a bunch of justices appointed by Nixon who were not hardcore conservatives, right? Yeah, Rank they was were moderate. It was a yeah, moderate. Yeah, it was a moderately conservative court. So you had a lot of moderates like Potter Stewart, who just left, Byron White, Lewis Powell, John Paul Stevens, okay, um, that were moderates. On some issues... They were liberal, and on other issues where they were conservative, O'Connor, okay, fit in because she was not as conservative as her former, you know, law school, you know, colleague Rehnquist. I mean, let's face it,
1: Reagan at this point
0: point would not be considered considered, uh, 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 now. uh, If him then he was (laughs) considered an arch conservative, conservative, right? He's but today, and now
1: it'd be like, mm, is he really a conservative? I mean, he's kind of a medium conservative, conservative. right? Like he yeah, would yeah. be. Some people in the party would call him a rhino. No, uh, yeah,
0: a Republican right? in name only. Yes. By so the is things, that by true the-
1: of her now? Would, on the court now, would she be considered a, a conservative? Conservative?
0: No, no. she. Uh, if you uh, on the current court, she would be to the right of Kagan. Okay. But she would be to the left by a good distance of Chief Justice John Roberts. And mind you, Roberts, okay, is viewed with a fair amount of skepticism by many conservatives <laughs> in the United States, okay, today. Okay. So she okay. wouldn't be okay. When she retired from the court, um she was the median vote. On a closely divided five to four uh, uh, Supreme Court. She Ah. was the meeting vote. There were four liberals to her left and four conservatives to the right. And that's that's why for an extended period of time, newspapers, magazines in this country said Sandra Day O'Connor was the most powerful woman in the United States. Right, cuz she was the deciding vote vote on a lot, a lot of, of con- a lot of controversial issues that were dividing the nation. Sandra Day O'Connor's vote, okay, would decide Supreme Court cases.
1: But you said something to me um off off recording. recording that I would like to mention. And that is that Sandra Day O'Connor was an incrementalist to pretty much the nth degree. She wanted to answer the question that was before the court and nothing else. Nels, that is I correct. don't wanna answer this question for all the ages. I want to answer this question that we have in its limited scope. That's it. She And was... that must have driven people like Scalia bananas.
0: It drove Scalia on the right And William Brennan and other hardcore liberals on the left, just bonkers. Okay, because but
1: but when you think about her history,
0: oh, it makes all sense. And what she comes
1: right, how she comes to the position. Yes. Her saying, "I'm not here to decide questions for eternity." I am here to decide the case that is before me, me. this one right here, in its limited scope.
0: Her conception of the job of Judge Nia was a very modest, if you will, conception, because she thought that the people's elected representatives should be making significant policy decisions for the country. And why so did she
1: think that? Because she had been one been of the people's elected representatives.
0: That's right. And she and knew
1: what that job was supposed to be. So Oh, she'd be driven crazy by the current Congress, don't you think?
0: Oh my goodness, yes.
1: Or she'd or be maybe. going around she'd be going or, around shaking hands with a lot of people.
0: You yeah, <laughs> or give me your hand <laughs> for, a for a minute. Right. <laughs> Or many state legislatures, <laughs> because a lot of the bad behavior that we see in Congress today has now seeped down to state legislatures, right. city councils, county board of supervisors.
1: She could just she, put the her, put the hand on people and hurt them, make them but,
0: rethink. But again, her reputation when she was a state legislator in Arizona was, you know, she would frequently have meetings or dinners at her house. And try to carve out compromises, okay, uh, in consensus, and that's what she attempted on the court. But that drove her more doctrinaire, if that's a word, but her more, if you will, consistent, you know, philosophy colleagues on the left and the right just bonkers. But again, it all all arose or flowed from her view. That the court should have a modest role in a democracy, because it was not elected by the people. I'm so a she, would, a. On
1: yeah, yeah. That.
0: she would answer narrow questions, um, even when she was in the majority and did not write the majority opinion. She would write <laughs> concurring opinions. That would limit the scope of majority opinions, which (laughs) really we arrived at the
1: right point. But boy, do we not need to be trying to do all all this other stuff,
0: stuff, which just drove Scalia in particular nuts, right? Okay,
1: and she's right, I think. But then, see, that's how I view the law. I think that if you, if lawyer, if justices start making law like legislation in the sense of they're making all this wide breadth sort of stuff. They really are getting into the business of the legislature and they really, and they can't be held accountable because they're not elected.
0: Elected. So yes.
1: I'm, I I have to admit Senator O'Connor probably formed a lot of my worldview without me even realizing he that's was what, was happening. what was
0: happening. And the, the main. People of- should
1: look at their influences when they get older. They should look <laughs> back so and I say, can- oh, I guess I really was influenced <laughs> yeah.
0: By so-and-so, right? Right. Um, Or
1: by their approach to things.
0: The main criticism of her jurisprudence, beyond the fact that it drove both liberals and conservatives bonkers on the court. Which I'm not sure (laughs) is a criticism, but okay. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Was that if one of the purposes of the rule of law is to set clear behavioral norms, you weren't necessarily going to get that from an O'Connor majority opinion.
1: Right. Because, because it would be it would very be This narrow. instance, right. This with instance, these only, particular case with facts. This increment only. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, I okay. see that. Okay, okay. That's a fair, that's a fair criticism. That, that's, I, that's I can see down, where
0: that would be. That's the downside of her particular approach. I mean,
1: part of me thinks, yeah, she kept them guessing. Right. Which but in some ways, you don't necessarily want to want keep people, to be people
0: guessing. guessing. OK, but again, her approach. Oh, was, it
1: hurts me, but I have to admit you're right. That's that is a legitimate criticism.
0: But her approach, Nia, as you pointed out, is much like the approach of the subject of my dissertation, Byron White, and also one of the justices who I have said on this podcast, I've said in my classes, who I've long admired, Robert Jackson. Because their approach as a justice was of restraint. We have a modest role, okay, that's no bigger, certainly not greater than the Congress, the president, or states. They answered narrow questions, and then they moved on.
1: But – Am I right that what that meant was that in various topics you would get one ruling on one in one way, yes. and then another ruling in another way, which would make <laughs> both sides a little bit bonkers?
0: Yeah, the classic example is affirmative action. Nia, on one hand, Sandra Day O'Connor wrote the majority opinion in the case of Richmond versus Crosson from 1989, which held that government affirmative affirmative action programs had to satisfy strict scrutiny, which, as we discussed in a previous podcast episode, is a really difficult standard for the government to satisfy. Right. On the other hand, 14 years later, Sandra Day O'Connor wrote the majority opinion in the Grutter versus Bollinger case that held that the University of Michigan Law School's Affirmative Action Program was constitutional, right, right? So on what she
1: did put a time frame on that.
0: Well she did Didn't put a, she? Yeah, she did put a time frame but on she it. She said
1: it was constitutional. constitutional So She says it's not constitutional, constitutional here,
0: here. But it is but it constitutional, is constitutional here. here.
1: And and you have in your notes another one that I'd like to bring up. I know we don't want to spend a huge amount of time um on her on her On these on specific mixed yes uh, subjects, but in L B T Q plus cases, yes, right. On the one hand, she votes in Bowers v. Hardwick, nineteen eighty six, that sodomy is not protected by the Fourteenth Amendment.
0: That's right. So states can go. States states can say that's illegal. So so states can say that even consensual sodomy is is a no go. Yeah, is, is is can be criminalized. However, but then,
1: <laughs> but then in Lawrence v. Texas in tw- in 2003, she votes that you can't treat homosexual, homosexual sodomy. sodomy any differently than you treat heterosexual sodomy. Yeah. She's like, either sodomy is illegal and all sodomy, sodomy is, illegal, is illegal, regardless of the parties involved, involved. Or, or it is not illegal. Not illegal like, for it is there, all people right which m- must have oh been very confusing for the states so oh. are you saying it's legal or not legal and she's like she's like i'm saying you can say it's illegal but it
0: has to be illegal for everybody, everybody. or if you're going to make it legal you it's got to be legal, for, legal for, everybody. for everybody right which so it, i kind of
1: like that that
0: and she and she's basically saying to the states you pick but right. if you pick you okay. got to pick for everybody, but right. you got to you got to follow the equal protection clause because
1: right? states had generally made sodomy illegal between heter- homosexual, homosexual couples ripples. and not considered ripples. it at all between Roles. heterosexual Rosexual. couples. Yeah. And people were yes. saying, wait, 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 that doesn't seem fair. And she's like, you're right. That's not fair.
0: It's not <laughs> yeah. fair. Yeah. It's
1: it's either everybody or nobody. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a, that's an interesting, powerful.
0: Oh, it's a very but, powerful and it, and statement. It's,
1: and it's because she answered the narrow question. Question. Yes. Okay. Um, but I'm sure that advocates on all sides were like, oh, she's yes. making that crazy.
0: Um, um, but now for, I, for, but for conservatives, her most disappointing area of jurisprudence was abortion Ah, uh, because she never gave the Berger or Rehnquist courts the fifth vote to say that abortion is not protected by the US Constitution. She always voted to uphold a woman's right to choose. And in Planned Parenthood versus Casey, she was part of the three-justice plurality, along with Justices Souter and Kennedy. They came up with the standard that controlled the Supreme Court's abortion case law for, you know, 30 years, the Undue Burden Standard, a state law or regulation that placed an undue burden on a woman's right to choose violates the U.S. Constitution. All right. And that's what has been recently overturned in Dobbs. Dobbs. And by the way. But that stood for a long time. it, It stood for a long time. But a lot of her clerks in the last few days have begun to write, you know, op eds Mm. about their former boss. And almost all of them lament that her legacy on the court has been seriously undercut or eroded because so many of her well known opinions and votes are being. You know, changed by a more conservative court. So you just mentioned abortion, the Dobbs decision overturned Planned Parenthood versus Casey, right? In the affirmative action um, uh, 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 ruling, oh, the
1: recent cases, the fair,
0: uh, uh, yeah,
1: admissions,
0: yeah, uh, cases, the, the Har- yeah, the Harvard and UNC cases um, from uh, the most recent Supreme Court term, religion. She had a very balanced or nuanced view. She neither subscribed to the view that there should be a complete wall between church and state, but she was skeptical about the government becoming too involved with religion. Well, the Supreme Court, since she's retired, has definitely moved to the latter position. She it's was part
1: of the case about the Ten Commandments, wasn't she? The one where <laughs> yes, they wanted yeah. to post, they wanted to post the Ten Commandments in the local courthouse.
0: Yes, in Kentucky. And the
1: ACLU sued and said you can't do that. Yes. And she agreed. She you can't, agreed. You can't do that. That's got to be a separate. And so that's been eroded. Oh, I'm not really okay. Also. But one of her votes. One of her votes that hasn't been eroded
0: has not been eroded in liberal Bush, 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 Bush Gore and liberals still do not forgive her because <laughs> they she really was really don't because she was part of the majority that said that the Florida Supreme Court violated the 14th amendment's equal, equal protection clause what allowed for the recounting of votes in the 2000 presidential election without a meaningful standard <laughs> um, they still don't forgive her she was part of the majority now there were seven yeah. just who there uh, were seven.
1: Uh, Can I just say yeah. Al Gore has forgiven that. And I'm not sure that anybody else has a bigger dog in that fight. Bigger dog yeah, in that I aunt. always
0: thought that Al Gore Al Gore's reaction was graceful w- beyond was w- was the epitome of being a professional politician
1: and a statesman. Yeah. That was you, a statesman moment when, when he yes. said we need to unite the country.
0: We need this to move on, to and, stop we, being, and, and we need to support the next president. Right. Um, this
1: needs to stop being a divisive issue. Now, uh, good for him that he yeah, had the grace to do that. Do that. Um, but yeah. anyway, uh, but, yeah, but that's that's one that will never be overturned. That one stood, <laughs> you know, and it changed the course of history.
0: The other area of law that liberals are not very generous – well, in fact, they hate them. Okay, O'Connor was consistently a member of the Rehnquist Court's revival of federalism as a check on the federal government's power. OK, they will they and it's what what to me, what's fascinating is you now have states that are controlled by the Democratic Party that rely upon. Those rulings of the Rehnquist Court, exactly. Okay, but nevertheless, they were to just say like, we
1: have right to do this because we're the states.
0: Yes. Yeah. Okay, but nevertheless, they were like, you know, we really can't trust her completely because she believes in federalism. <laughs> um, but there's some <sighs> other ob- other observations um, uh, before we conclude this episode. She was probably closest to. Justice Lewis Powell, um, um, who was appointed to the court by Nixon, but Lewis Powell was a moderate or swing voter on the court, but she was close to him because he was so welcoming and assisted her so much when she first got on the court. All right. Okay. She, she was re- close
1: to Rehnquist as well, but didn't they have dinner together?
0: Yes, they had dinner regularly together? the four yeah.
1: Rehnquist and his wife, his and, wife and,
0: and Sandra and, and, and Day O'Connor and, and John o'Connor and, and, Yes, um, she was also very close to Thurgood Marshall. Um, uh-huh. um she said she always appreciated how Thurgood Marshall attempted to remind the court about how race discrimination was embedded into the structures of the US government at all levels. Um, And she said- Talking about systemic racism before anybody else was talking talking about systemic racism. And and you wanna talk about lived experience. She appreciated how his lived experience was different than hers. Mm -hmm. Um, um, She spoke glowingly about how much she appreciated When Ruth Bader Ginsburg became the second female justice in the history of the Supreme Court. I mean, because basically for roughly the first dozen years she was on the court, she was the only woman. Um, And she loved having Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the court. Even
1: even though though, they were, they had to be... Complete opposites in terms of how they, they approached jurisprudence. Prudence,
0: yeah, I mean they voted differently about three quarters of the time. Um, there's
1: a there's a book if anybody wants to read it about this called Sisters in Law. Yes, that is about the two of them and their careers and and the parallels and the divergences.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they had a lot of similar experiences when they were young, being sort of overlooked. And you and now you think about two brilliant women. Yes. Just just flat jur- out brilliant.
0: And their jurisprudence is different. And there is a chapter or two in that book that talk about how they subscribe to different conceptions or versions of feminism. Right. Okay. And right. it's fascinating it's right? yeah. it's a, really it's fast...
1: just, it's a it, and yeah. we're not saying you know go out and buy it. borrow it from a library right like yes. we're not suggesting that you spend yeah, no, money no, yeah 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 but but we are suggesting that it yeah. is is a it's an interesting read um uh, a couple And we've already are... talked about how crabby she and Scalia were with each other
0: yeah what um, I uh,
1: what I also uh, was... And the differences about incrementalism right Scalia wanted bigger approaches they big, wanted the, line big rules questions is... Yes, he wanted. Well, because Scalia believed he was right about everything and he wanted to fix it all.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And (laughs) And Sandra Day
1: O'Connor was more like, we might be right about this thing. We might not be able to be right about all the things.
0: And again, that that flows from the fact that Scalia as originalist had a particular version of of interpretation that he subscribed to. O'Connor was not doctrinaire. She was not a strict constructionist. She wasn't a loose constructionist. Her view was, we pre- we've been presented a particular question, and our job is to address that particular question. We'll leave it to other folks to go ahead and figure out what are the implications of this.
1: Well, and the litigants in this case don't care about the larger question.
0: No, they want to. yeah. They, they want they an want answer do, for, themselves. for themselves. That's right. And okay? we're
1: not. You are not. It's not up to us to use them as leverage to answer larger questions or or take on larger, yeah. Um, uh, philosophical. Um, there's there's complications. Um, there are. Can three, I?
0: There are three last things I wanted to mention, and I think I'm going to capture one of them. One, she hmm. was typically the first questioner among the justices during oral arguments attorney said they feared her because they knew okay that the first question was going to come from her
1: oh and, and by the by <laughs> in when you stand up before the supreme court you stand up and you st- you there's a formal way that you start you start by acknowledging the justices may it please the court may it please the court good afternoon supreme court justice or chair um Sorry, Chief Justice, Justice Roberts, and then you start naming them, and you take a breath, and anybody can interrupt you at that point.
0: <laughs> and she would. She would. I they, love... they,
1: they don't even get all the words out before sh- before whoever it is starts asking questions.
0: Yeah, they have a recent change from a couple years ago, Nia, where um, the justices have agreed to like a 30-second uh, or 45-second pause. To let that person finish. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm
1: sure that it's very unnerving. You're in the middle of doing a thing and somebody says, not to interrupt you, but I'm going to interrupt you. What about this complicated question that I'm about to ask in 16 parts? Bop, 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 bop. Yeah. but And are... they don't give you, they don't necessarily give you a chance to answer before the next person's asking their question, which is why you take an assistant to write down all the questions <laughs> so that you can answer them in the in the order that they come. But I'm but sure was, she terrified people. She would have terrified me if I was in a class oh and my she goodness. called oh, on yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I would oh, have yeah. just fainted on the spot. I would have pretended to be one of those goats that just faints. And I would have just fallen down on the floor and waited for her to call on somebody else.
0: Yeah, and, 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 and listeners, neither or, uh nor I uh, are shrinking violets when it right. comes to, you know, small group interaction. <laughs> but man, man, I don't know, <laughs> right? But there is something that you and I both think is very noteworthy about Sandra Day O'Connor. And I entitled uh, uh, my research notes for this episode as the first and possibly the last. And I think both Nia and I think that this is a very salient point about Sandra Day O'Connor. Unfortunately, and I think Nia, you and I both believe this, unfortunately, Sandra Day O'Connor, at least in our lifetime, will be the last elected official nominated and confirmed to serve on the Supreme Court. And that's a huge loss for the court as an institution. Right. The
1: experience that she brought from that and the understanding that she brought from the other branches, because she had worked in both other branches.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: And bringing that experience to the court tempered her willingness to to for how far the court should go.
0: And, she and was what also is the
1: court's purview versus what's the legislative purview. purview
0: or the executive branch? And right. she was more willing to achieve consensus,
1: right? Because she and had been forced to.
0: Yeah, you're not going to her... get any. You're not going to get anything done in a state legislature by saying, okay. This is what I believe, and I'm not going to deviate. Right. That's not how legislation gets passed, right? So, and, and I think that's a huge loss for the institution. And the reason why we don't think, at least in our lifetime, you're going to see another elected official is that neither political party would consider somebody like Sandra Day O'Connor with their background, again, with her particular background. Right. right. Neither. Right. Political she never
1: court. served in one of the big courts in D.C. She, she never. Right. You know,
0: y- yeah. you know she uh, wasn't
1: attorney general of the United, United States. States. She, she was, wasn't a
0: clerk yeah. to a Supreme Court justice. She does not follow the currently subscribed elite model. Um, and um, and because she's a politician or was a politician, that would actually be viewed as a negative. Right. When
1: when you and I when I'm president, you and I'll fix that. Mm. Our Supreme Court nominee will be somebody who we think brings some of this background and this breadth of understanding of government, of government little g Mm -hmm. like how government. I want
0: I want diversity of experience, right? Right. Okay. I had you know you know okay. So we have a dean from Harvard Law School like Kagan. Okay, great. Right. We have somebody who serves on the sentencing commission, who previously served on the sentencing commission. You know, that's you know Justice uh, Brown Jackson, right? You know, I got you know somebody who's done this, but I also have somebody who's got a law degree, who worked in the Congress or the Senate, or was the you know chair of the uh, Treasury Department. Great. Why? Because I want somebody to be able to say in a conference when they're about ready to take a vote, hey, do we understand that if we vote this way, it will have this impact on, you know, the executive branch being able to do this or the message it sends to state legislatures if we do this? Right. I want somebody with that kind of diversity of experience. Now, the last thing I'm going to mention, and this is near and dear. I think, to both of our hearts, but to me in particular.
1: And then I have something I'm going to mention mention, after you do
0: yours. After she retired, Sandra Day O'Connor spent a lot of time running around the country, giving speeches, doing fundraising for two causes that really matter to her, civics education and judicial independence. And as somebody who's basically made a career out of, you know, um, uh you know, giving sermons about the value of civics. I mean, face it, that's the way I kind of, being, of sort of... <laughs> of
1: being a civics fanboy,
0: <laughs> right? Okay, I was, I, I loved it, right? Okay, and she wanted civics taught, okay, to kids when they were in first and second grade, and she thought that you know, st- you know, states that were. Um, uh reducing the amount of civics being taught in high school was harming the country, etc she was but right she, and she, but I also loved the fact that she thought one of the most important contributions the United States had made to um, the law around the world. It's one of its most significant exports was the idea of judicial independence. Yep. Now, what marked a healthy democracy was the judiciary being independent from the political branches. But anyways. Which well, is a got, fantastic the... example
1: to set around the world, because yes. that's not the case in in many, many countries in the world. Yes. And my last thing that I want to mention about Sandra Day O'Connor is about the relationship between her and John O'Connor. Yes. So John O'Connor... Um, had Alzheimer's, and he eventually had to go to an assisted living institution. Yes, where he met someone else. He lost his memory of his relationship with Sandra Day O'Connor, and he met someone else, and she had the grace to let him divorce her or to divorce him, so that he could be with this other woman, mm-hmm. because he didn't remember her and he didn't remember the life that they had lived together. The, the internal power that you have to have to do that is amazing. It's amazing to me that she could love him enough to let him go and let him be happy in whatever happiness he could find in this, in this state of Alzheimer's. And then he eventually passed, Yeah. but, and her kids talk about what a, what a beautiful thing because she still loved him. She remembered him. She had not forgotten all of that, but he had, and she had to let him have whatever happiness in life he could have.
0: Yeah. To love somebody so much to go ahead and say, no matter how much this hurts me, my life partner now no longer remembers me and the life that we built together, but this other person makes him happy and is going to go ahead and give him, okay, some joy as you know he shrinks further into that fog and haze that becomes Alzheimer's. I mean that's just truly remarkable. I mean that's right. that's the sign of a remarkable person, who can go ahead and say I love somebody this much, that I'm willing to go ahead, and let them go in effect, right? No matter how much it hurts me, right? Right. That's that's you know that is the kind of of grace and self sacrifice um, that um, I, I I don't think I will ever be able to achieve, but I aspire to. Right?
1: Exactly. That's yeah. exactly how I feel. And what a what a wonderful way to say that yeah. I, is something to aspire to. I know that I'm probably never going to be that graceful, do, yeah. but I can, but I can hold that as an example of yeah, that is truly love. And it's also um, a deep sense of fairness. What's fair in fair. the world yes. for him, as well as what's fair for her and good for her that she was able to to do that gracefully and kindly, and didn't make a big thing of it. Like people didn't know until well after that. That's what had happened.
0: Happened, yeah. Yeah. So
1: you know, yeah. just we just couldn't love Sandra Day O'Connor more. And I'm sorry that she's gone, but I think she changed a lot of generations of people and how they view the court. And I'm not sure that the justice can hope for more than that.
0: No, her I legacy mean, is. Yeah, I mean, if 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 after I die um people say you know a quarter or a 10% okay of the positive impact that Sandra Day O'Connor had um that will have I, been a life well life lived will have to yes okay yep. um not bad for a well kid said. Who, yeah not bad for a kid who grew up okay on a farm and... Um, In Texas (laughs) with a handshake that can murder uh, PhD
1: students. So thank you, Sandra Day, for your years of service, Sandra Day O'Connor, your years of service and your life after that. Mm -hmm.
0: So, but thanks, Nia. Thanks for um, um, uh, 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 working with me on this because this, uh, of all the episodes we do. Um when we lose a justice the it's justice hard. hard. Yeah. And um and she knows uh in and, and, and listeners Nia knows um uh how much uh, uh you know this Augie
1: comes to think of these people as family. <laughs> yeah in yeah. in a lot of ways. He comes to think of these people as he knows a lot about them. Yeah. So thank you for sharing what you knew about her and thank you for, for let's for commemorating her.
0: Yeah.